first thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts. Does the car need gas? Hopefully those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC'd on the <laughs> No. You can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using Method Hair Care products. Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Five Rings to Rule Them All. I'm Sid Ziegler. As I was sitting on a phone call last week with the International Olympic Committee, they had a kind of a media roundtable. They, 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 they talked about their new trans um, intersex gender policy, and uh, which essentially, if, in case you haven't read about it, the IOC has for years had requirements for trans athletes in particular that correlated to testosterone levels. The IOC, as of March, is throwing that out, and they're offering each sport a, a, a framework, a 10-point framework, around which to create their own policy for their own sport. And as I was listening to this conversation, I knew exactly who I wanted to talk to this week on this podcast, and that's Kirsty Miller. Kirsty Miller is a trans athlete in Australia who I've, I've been talking to for years and years about trans inclusion policies. And Kirsty, uh, because she's been around for so long, because she's been in the conversation so long, because she's a trans athlete, she has transitioned, um, she has, she's a wealth of knowledge. She is. And I remember very early, early conversations that I had with her. She talked about having policies very similar to the kind of framework that the IOC put out there. That is that policy should be focused on individuals and not classes of people, not lumping all transgender people into the same category and under the same testosterone levels and all this kind of stuff. So when I heard this conversation, I knew I wanted to talk to Kirsty. I also knew I wanted to talk to Kirsty because I can play devil's advocate with Kirsty and I can ask really tough questions. And I have tough questions. I have tough questions that I want to ask people, and I have tough questions that I know other people want to ask people. And so I, I knew that having Kirsty on, I, I'd be able to do that. And this is the longest podcast that I've had because Kirsty and I really get into it. And I, and I challenge all of her thinking about trans athletes. Um, we go back and forth about how... Um, uh, you know, how strong the framework is that the IOC has put out there. Kirsty believes that the, the 10 point, the bullet points that they put out there are kind of, you know, you have to include these in your framework for your sport. I don't read it that way at all. There's lots of shoulds and lots of, uh, you know, we're, we're not telling anybody what to do's in the framework. Um, so we're yet to see uh, how strong they are in trying to force these sports to consider all 10 of these points and implement all 10 of these points. Um, uh, but anyhow, you, you can hear us go back and forth and read the different parts of the framework. I talked to Kirsty about transitioning. I talked to Kirsty about this idea that the IOC is forcing people to in, engage in different uh, transitions. 
Um, and the, the, she talks about the repercussions of transitioning for a lot of trans women. So it's to me, it's a, I, the conversation is a great back and forth. You really get into it. You try try to dig deep into these conversations. Dig deep into the topic. Really get Kirsty to open up about what transition is like for trans women because I I feel like people really don't understand a lot of it and and. You know, hopefully the, 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 some of the quote-unquote right people will listen to this podcast and learn a little bit. Uh, I do think Kirsty is a great ambassador for trans athletes. Again, she has a wealth of knowledge and a wealth of history. And I really appreciate her taking the time to join me and taking some very tough questions from me. Uh, was it, without further ado, my conversation with Kirsty Miller. Kirsty, thank you so much for joining me. I wanted to have you on this week to talk about the IOC's new, uh, new. well, it's not even a trans policy, it's a gender framework, because you were the first person several years ago who talked to me about policies that avoided um, mandates of or transition mandates essentially and this reflects really some of those early very early conversations we had and so I, I want to just kind of start by just kind of opening the the floor for you to share your general thoughts on what you've seen from the IOC this week. What I saw from the OIC this week was a massive paradigm shift in, in how things are going to move forward. Um, up until this week, the transgender community in 2003 policy and 2015 policy, we were treated as totally a, a monolithic community, no matter, no matter our, our um, surgical status or our hormonal status. We, we were just given this blanket um, testosterone level to, to, to meet, you know, and every single individual has got very different androgen needs. And, and it's taken the OIC like this long to, to um, come out with policy, but the OIC had been aware of the, the serious health complications Sid, that can occur to women like me that are denied androgen needs in sport and women like Castor Semenya and, and, and um, others that have been forced to have their endogenous T levels reduced as a prerequisite to compete. So what, what the OIC has done with this announcement, number one, they've admitted that it's done harm in the past, which as a survivor, it's, that was very important to me. And, um, and, and, you know, there's around 30 plus different women survivors that have been damaged by these policies. So, and, and you know, I've been called out on this for many years because when I re-entered sport back in 2013, my body was breaking down. See, I was about seven years post-operative. And my doctor way back then said, Kirsty, you need testosterone put back in your body. And, and my um, local anti-doping authority here in Australia denied my need. It wasn't able to be underwater. So since 2013 till now, I ended up in the intensive care unit because of the ICU policy, Sid. Um, it made me very unwell. 
I ended up with a lung disease. I ended up with minus 3.2, severe osteoporosis, um, complete muscle atrophy. My legs went absolutely black in colour. Um, yeah, just I, I was pretty much dying from, from the OSE policy. Kirsty, is that, is that be, is, is the lack of testosterone because you were assigned male at birth or simply because your testosterone level was even below that of women, of, of cisgender women and transgender Abs women. Absolutely. Well, XY physiology and XX physiology have two very different androgen needs and testosterone needs. Like a XY person needs around six to 10 times the amount of testosterone in their body just to maintain normal day-to-day -day health seed. So I'm an XY physiology. So I need six to 10 times more testosterone to function normally to what an XX person does because that's not their primary endogenous hormone. It's human growth hormone and, and estrogen, whereas mine is testosterone. So a male in the same condition, Sid, the, the, you hear these people saying it doesn't take away all the advantage of taking away testosterone. Well, yes, it does. It's premature aging. The only thing that it does not mitigate is your height. It's premature aging, complete androgen deprivation. Now, a male athlete in the same condition, a male that suffers hypogonadism or low testosterone, and that happens between about 9 and 14 nanomoles, um, the body breaks down. And, and that's when you start to get the osteoporosis, you start to get the complete muscle atrophy, everything that an XY person's healthy system, your brain, your, just everything in our body, Sid, you and me, um, relies on healthy androgen levels. And what, what's happened with a male athlete, when they are in the same condition as me, they would be granted a therapeutic use exemption to get their testosterone injections and then continue on in sport under the water policy. So what the policy did before in 2011 with the World Athletics and 2015 with the OIC trans policy, they've tried to blank all these physiologies together that never should have been blanketed together in the first place. Yet. And treating surgically transitioned women exactly the same as preoperative women, completely two different things again, like my levels postoperative. How so? Help me understand. And in this, you and I have talked, uh, you know, before we've messaged many times. I hope you know that I come from a space of just wanting to learn. And I'm, I really want to ask you some tough questions today, Kirsty. And one of them is what you just said. What do you mean that a post-operative trans woman has different hormonal needs than a, a Pre, a pre-operative trans, uh, trans woman has different hormone needs than a post-operative woman. What do you mean by that? Sure. Well, someone like myself who's surgically transitioned, so I've had my main androgen receptor removed from my body. So the communications loop in my endocrine system has completely been cut. So my levels, once you've undergone surgery, Within a day, your levels drop permanently to about under 0.04 of a nanomole. Now, a preoperative woman, that doesn't happen to. If they stop taking their testosterone blockers, if they get too low of T, they can just stop taking their T blockers for a little while if they've got a health need and build their T levels back up. The only way that I can do that is via 
therapeutic use exemption of testosterone, which sport has denied me up until now, which is now moving forward, is going to be able to use for people like me. It's already used for, for men. And, and it won't give me a, an athletic advantage because I don't have an androgen, my main androgen receptor. Testosterone doesn't work alone, volume testosterone. It must have androgen sensitivity in your receptors. My receptors are in Thailand, see, they don't work. So yeah, that, that's where I mean the two bases. What do you mean that what do you mean they don't work? Well, they're in Thailand, see, they're gone. That's like the same as a prostate cancer sufferer, a male, they'll be chemically castrated or surgically castrated. So that means your endocrine system has been disrupted, completely cut. So it's not working as what it would if you still had your gonads, either your ovaries as a woman or your testes as a male. So the, the, the post-op girl does not have her main androgen receptors, whereas a pre-operative woman does, or a man that's just having chemical treatment for prostate, but a man that's had surgically removed his testicles, that man, just to maintain daily health for the rest of his life, needs therapeutic use exemption for testosterone just to maintain health. Otherwise, he's going to die very young, Sid. So one of the things that's interesting to me about the, the new IOC policy, and of course, it's going to depend on how the different sports react to it. The IOC policy essentially says we have no policy, right? So they've eliminated their policy and they're leaving it up to each sport to determine each sport's policy. One of the interesting things to me, so God, I have a hundred questions. Yeah. So one of the things, so, so backing up to three years ago, when you and I first talked, I remember you talking about this very thing. I remember you talking about, Kirsty, forgive me if I'm if I'm mistaken, but almost eliminating gender-based sports and creating a sports system that is based on ability. And and when I when I when I was listening to the IOC commentary uh, this last week on the press conference, it almost sounded like Kirsty was talking several years ago like that wow it was this is entirely um you know a uh, performance based so is this what you were ultimately looking for several years ago when you and i first talked um th this is very similar to what i talked about Sid. very very similar that that i always believe that it should have been based on like you know, our physiometric characteristics not a not a arbitrary um, testosterone limit, which now everyone's admitting it, it means nothing, you know, and I knew that many years ago. So it is pretty much like I, I was advocating before, but, and, but our attitude shift as our knowledge shifts also, Sid, but this is very similar to what I was um, have always advocated for. It's, it's you know, requires peer-reviewed um, science before they can determine someone's got an advantage or a disadvantage. It can't just be assumed. So it's pretty much like that the OIC has read every tweet Kirsty's written since 2013 and collated it and put it into a into a document. And and but the reason why that is is because my mentor, the person that taught me about my body first was Kristen Morley. And Kristen Morley's been one of the lead players in developing the new OIC guidelines because 
the reason we're here today, the reason why the, the testosterone blanket lipids being taken off is because of Kristen Worley. She has got the OIC over a barrel. If they try and introduce policies now that are going to further harm um, our health, there's going to be litigation cases all around the world coming from Kristen's president case in, in Toronto in 2017, Sid. So, you know, I've got a lot to thank Kristen, thank Kristen Morley for. Um, I, I have been called out for the last seven years and, and called an idiot from all sides of the debate over this, saying, Kirsty, what the hell are you talking about? Well, a lot of people don't understand this stuff, Sid, unless you're an athlete. Like librarians don't notice low testosterone as much as a, a, an international athlete. You know what I mean? So um, I, I feel very vindicated that the science that I've been advocating is now come out and it's the truth of what I've been saying and really important now is going to see no more women damage their health like I am there's going to be no other young trans kids because see if we get a young trans girl now that goes through the puberty blockers if they remain under the old OAC policy right if we get a young trans girl that goes on puberty blockers then goes on the estrogen and the HRT as it about 16 and then then has surgery when they're about 19 20 and that person is an athlete, by the time that person's about 24 years of age, they're gonna have brittle bones because sport would deny the health needs that they need. All right, Kirsty. so here's, here, so I have to tell you, so you have tweeted many, many times and talked with me and shared about your support for the Women's Sports Policy Working Group. And the work that Martina Navratilova and Nancy Hogshead and others do, they talk about, and you have, you have, you have tweeted about the need for a one-size-fits-all policy, a, 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 an overwhelming, arching policy that governs sport. And here you are talking about the need for the complete opposite of that. So I don't understand how you reconcile those two things. Uh, um, what I believe the future, at, at one time I believed it should have been merely on physical capabilities. But as I said, as my knowledge has grown and as all our knowledge grows, our attitudes and our beliefs shift. Um, see, do you know what I mean? So there, there is, no need to abandon the female category, right? There's a lot of people thinking that when the, when the 2003 policy come out, oh no, they're going to have to abandon the female category. Trans women are going to overtake in 2015, and and people are saying that now. Oh no, there's no testosterone limit. But there, there's been that. This is not a participation policy at all. What the OIC is advocating here, the OIC compared to what they had in three and, and, and 15, um, they were pretty much a two paragraph statement and they were guidelines. They weren't um, a framework, they were guidelines for other sports to produce their own policy, Sid, right? So what I mean this year now, why this is what everything I wanted is because what this policy that obviously now does now, it treats everyone as an individual, Sid. So they can't turn That's around- That's not, take, but Kirsty, I'm gonna interrupt you. That's not what you have said this year. 
you have tweeted and shared multiple times the need for overarching policy that governs everything. And now, suddenly this week, you're embracing a policy that, that personally I, I felt you believed three years ago that was an athlete by athlete policy. And those two things don't mix. So I don't understand the Kirsty Miller from two weeks ago who said there needs to be a policy that governs everyone. And now uh, you believe that there should be, it's just a case by case basis. No, 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 no. Only a case by case basis to determine each individual's physiometric characteristics. So you can't blanket me and Rachel McKinnon together and you can't blanket two systemic women together and say, those two women are the same. We all have to be treated as individuals. So now in the women's category, if say the AFL determined five foot 10 and, and, and 100 kilos, too big and too strong, right? Now, th th this policy now will treat cisgender women the same as trans. So if a trans woman is six foot tall and 100 kilos is too big, under this policy now, so is a cisgender woman going to be too strong and too big. So we treat it as one of the same in this here now. And, and, and like, as, as people I think that, sorry. Yeah, yeah, it's very, very easy to, to assess the, the, the physical capabilities of an individual. And they do it all the time. They do it in the AFL. To, to, like, to give an example how the AFL determine if a trans woman's got too much disparity than the other girls in the elite women's comp. Do you know how they do that, Sid? They, the AFL do tests on the previous two seasons of their elite women's competition. They do things like, um, you know, look at their body mass, their VO2 levels. Their, they do certain physical tests like 20-metre sprints and, and raw match sheet. And they, they get, a, they get a, a benchmark of, like, the average size, you know, and average um, strength mm -hmm. ability. And then when a trans athlete now comes along, a trans person, as long as they fit into that there and they haven't got a, a massive disparity compared to every single one else in the competition, right? But it can only be assessed. They can't say that to all trans people. They've got to treat us one at a time. So they can't assess me and then say, well, Hannah Mousy's trans, so she's the same as Kirsty. Like, that is a ridiculous thing. This thing here now treats us all as individuals. So if a certain capabilities too strong too fast too big in the women's competition that's for all women now in the competition so the sports now have to go back and do their homework and we don't need a separate policy to assess danger with trans women in the women's category Got like it. yeah so it's what i'm now it's more it's 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 case by case assessment but it's a blanket everyone's on the same requirement but assessed individually so wait, so yeah, so, th so that makes so 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 if I got that, so so what it essentially says is there's a range that is the women's category, and you may be a trans woman and fit into that. You may be a cis woman and fit into that. And, and they can do that easy. See, they can do hemoglobin level checks, which is a clear indication of how much oxygen you've got in your blood, in your lungs. They can do a VO two tests they can do like they did a review of 32 elite south african um 
rugby players back in about 2011. And, and the same tests they assess them on are the exact same physical tests they test us trans girls in the AFLW, right? And I had a look through all the characteristics of the South African teams here. I was on the bottom rung of every physiometric characteristic. I was totally on the bottom. So by, by all means, in this new policy framework of the, AF, of the OIC, Warren's still going to be able to be banned if I've got a disparity, but Kirsty isn't if she hasn't got one, Sid, if, you, if that makes sense. So, so let me offer you a, um, a, a concern of mine. So we determine what is in the range of what women, how women should be competing. And then you have suddenly a Yulimar Rojas uh, of the Venezuelan lesbian who shattered a triple jump record. Or you have a trans woman who suddenly shatters a, a, a world record in track and field or swimming. And suddenly, because that woman is outside what is predetermined as the norm, that woman is determined uh, to have an unfair advantage. And that's what I'm concerned about, that, that, you are, that we're setting up a situation where trans women or any woman is, um, is encouraged to succeed, but if she succeeds too much, then she will be disqualified. Well, th th this framework clearly says now that it can't be just assumed. It it's got to be proven. Like, it's got to be a proven unfair advantage. And to be able to, to, to determine an unfair advantage in any athletes, it is pretty hard because, like, Every, there's so many different variations to what gives a person an athletic advantage. It could be as much as who their parents are or what country Kirstie, they're born in. Uh, let, let's, let's be real, Christy. Let's be real. Yeah. If trans women did not have, uh, did not transition, there, there are various trans women who would hold world records no Absolutely. question. And, and I feel like if you say that's not true, I, I, I really feel like you're not being honest with, with, with our listeners. No, God knows. I am the first and I've never changed my belief on that. But like, but, and when I'm saying this now, I'm not saying as a monolithic community, there is certain trans women that go through the male puberty like myself, like, like Hannah Mounser, we, we too, classic examples that should not have been allowed to sign up and say, I'm Kirsty today and play women's rugby league tomorrow because there were certain things that I would have been way above the, the um, capabilities of any of the girls in the rugby league if Kirsty started playing football in 2000. Like I was playing first grade men's football in 99, beating up guys, you know. So that took me probably about five years to be able to play rugby myself. But I was an extreme, you know, I, I was ranked probably in the top 1% percentile of, well, I was, I was a world champion. So, and there's not, you know, I'm sort of very, there's not many world champions in the world, you know? So I was like the most extreme, extreme. But the thing is, this policy now doesn't assume that. So you can't treat Kirsty the same as a young cricketer in the UK who 
went never went through a proper male puberty, but she's been assessed the same as me in the old policy. That young cricketer, I forget her name now, that everyone's raving about. She never even experienced a male puberty. So people have, up until now, treated us as a monolithic community. And I've got to say the trans community is the least monolithic in the world, you know? So, yes, moving well. forward, there's definitely going to be trans girls that are going to need time to mitigate in certain sports. And trans women like me, and, and you'll see several of us, including Joanna Harper, and we, we all still agree that it shouldn't be just an open, like, self-ID, go and, and, and compete tomorrow in certain people. Like, that hasn't changed yet, and the OAC hasn't changed any of that now. You know, and moving forward, like, everyone's trying to grasp all this and... The education hasn't even started. All we've done is read the policy, you know, and, and listen yeah. to a bit of a spool. So the work starts now with the education and the work in that, I really hope they bring the cis, the trans, the intersex girls together on this journey, Sid, along the way, because unlike 2015, the OAC threw that policy on the table and incited World War Three, you know, and, and it's been trans women educating and, and, and um, and cisgender turfs, you know, fighting with us. Well, this time now the OAC said they're going to do massive education initiatives. And, you know, as each sport goes on, because sports are going to learn from each other. We, we introduced a similar framework in Australia in 2019, the federal guidelines in Australia. And these federal guidelines, like the OAC policy, were not a participation policy. They were a framework to assist sports to do what the ROC are now doing. And they were released in 2019. We've already developed around 20 policies in Australia from our federal guidelines. So that's not a hard thing to do case by case on a sport basis because there's going to be very different criteria to equestrian to what there is to a marathon runner and very different criteria from a marathon runner to what there is for a sprinter. See, like a marathon runner, like our hemoglobin levels reduced in three to four months, we should be able to compete in, in, in marathon within about six months of starting transition. But sprinting may take one, two, three years, depending on where you started at. So um, I think so a lot I, of people... I, 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 I appreciate that. And, and I agree. You know, yeah. uh, we look at different... There are some sports that uh, have such little... Um, advantage, disadvantage that they're co-ed, sailing, yeah. equestrian, yeah. and and each sport ha does absolutely have different um, dynamics that 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 have to be uh, considered. And many sports Talking have overlapping, about, like all the football codes would have similar things. See, you know, all the shooting events would have similar. Yeah, you know, I, and, I, I yes, I I understand that. With that being said, I continue to really be concerned that we are setting up a situation where you can be a trans athlete or an intersex athlete as long as you're not too good. That before, if you kept your uh, testosterone animals per liter at X level and that it was very, it was, it was very clear cut. It was, it was, I don't want to say it was a clean policy, but it was very clear. Now 
the new IOC policy, and we have yet to see what the different sports are going to do. The IOC policy says um, you're good to participate as long as you're not too good. That is what this framework says. And that really concerns me. At most, says not too good. It says if you've got an unfair disparity. Uh, then that's, that's but Kirsty, we're speaking the so so we're speaking the same language. That's what it says. If a trans athlete goes out and shatters a world record in the two hundred meter, they are going to be considered to have an unfair advantage. They can't, but now the sport's going to have to have the, 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 the research to say that it's an unfair advantage because of A, B, or C. They can't just say, oh, they've got an unfair advantage. But the way that you can assess unfair advantage is, and like it's happened with the AFL, I'll go back to that. We've done this before, Sid. It's not, we're not totally reinventing the wheel. So, and under the OAC policy, Still, in, in 2015, there's always been that criteria and there still is going to be this criteria moving forward for that athlete that is got a physical capability that's either in strength, speed, endurance, and or physique. If they've got a massive disparity, like if we've got, um, I don't know, um, the heavyweight champion of the world tomorrow, like boxing is going to have a very different policy to, like we said, equestrian, and under the boxing, they're going to have to assess uh, and, and they're going to have to look at people's you know, ability and, and, and we're judging individuals on their ability. So if there is a trans girl like me that does have a disparity, I'm only getting judged for that disparity, not all the other trans girls because they're trans as well. Yeah, so, so yeah, ultimately, Kirsty, this, this is what I wish the IOC had done. Yep. And happy, I, I so so I completely agree, and I've been saying this for years. It doesn't make any sense that equestrian is governed by the same policy as powerlifting. That makes no sense. So absolutely. I'm happy to see, absolutely, um, the, the sports, uh, different sports being able to determine their future and the different experts in the different sports know better than a lot of other people. My issue is there was not some baseline guideline because what the, what the IOC has opened up to is one sport saying you're either born female or you're disqualified and another sport saying it's open season. Whoever identifies as a woman or non-binary um, is, is qualifies for the Olympics. And I, I just personally wish that the IOC had offered some guidelines, some, some really regulation beyond right, whatever you want. Well, well it, it pretty much does sit because what it says in that framework is you can't just implement nine of them and leave the 10th one out. Nope, that's not true, Kirsty. I was on that call. The IOC specifically said there is no benchmark. 
every sport, the, every the, sport the, is able to determine a hundred percent the policy yeah. that determines their sport. As yeah, but as long as it meets the way it was set up, as long as it meets the framework of how it was developed. No, no, Christy. It specifically says it here in the policy here in front of me. It says here, um, the framework should be considered as a coherent whole and should be taken into account. So it, you cannot leave they, one they, bit of it Percy, were you? They said on the phone call, there yeah. is no benchmark. No, no, the there's policy. no benchmark, but the policy must meet these 10 criteria. Oh, no, you're wrong. Yeah, I'm sorry, Kirsty. You're wrong. It actually says it at the top of the framework. There, the exact words I'm saying. No, and, and you're wrong. What, I think what you're confused with is how the OAC are not going to police every little detail within each policy. So, you know, they might say that the AFL determines that we're not going to have a trans girl for two years in the competition, and that may be from the research that they gain that shows that trans women can't play for a certain amount of time. It's now upon the sports now to continue doing that study. And the study they've got to be doing now is not the studies they've been doing in the past of non-transgender people in sport. Now the studies must be on the actual subjects of, of who actually they're allowing to compete and not allowed to compete. There can't be these proxy things anymore. It's got to be peer-reviewed science. Like, this is everything I wanted to see. This has got to be like... It's addressing health needs. It's got the harm. And, and this OIC, it's just the way they've given the tools for the sports to now develop. And like I said, we've done it in Australia in 20-odd sports in the last two years off a similar framework. And that, that framework didn't tell any sport what they actually had to do. And each one's come out a little bit different, right? But we're going to learn along the way in this city. We've still got to have the education how it's all going to work, right? So we're all like sort of jumping in how it's going to play out in, in real life. Like I'm sort of like not panicking as yet. Like it's, I know because I have been involved in other policy development in the past, Sid, and I know there's skill already in these sports to develop policies. Like if you get on there now, there's around 100 different trans sports policies being developed since. 2013 so people in this area have got skills at this it's not straight from ground zero um it's not just your average joe blow that's been on the internet and sees this once every four years when they see a news article come out so like uh, there's a lot of expertise within each sports in you know like the experts on wrestling are the officials and the people in wrestling not the people at the oic that the experts in what's needed in the afl are afl people yeah, so but I, I agree. Really I agree, Christy, right. but I want to read from you, read to you right from IOC's framework. It says the IOC is therefore not in a position to issue regulations that define eligibility criteria for every sport. Yeah. This framework is simply a suggestion that's it the ioc said that on the phone call this last week and it is concerning to me that they did not offer a more clear-cut concrete 
minimum eligibility requirement. Impossible was, to do as of the amount of sports seat. Impossible to do. The only thing they could do would be to say, to, to make it a, a determination like that now, because they can't do this on a testosterone level seat. We've got to forget that now. That's impossible and never going to happen again. This blanket testosterone level. It's now proven to harm people. And if the OIC or any sport under the OIC move and implement it, they leave themselves open to a CAS appeal or they leave themselves open to the sex, uh, the, the courts in Australia, the courts in the UK or the international courts. So, because- so, okay, great. So, so Christy, tell me, so I talk, I've talked for years with people, trans yeah. women, about the testosterone level requirements. And they have said, and correct me if I'm wrong, I believe you have said it doesn't really matter. You can set it at as low as you want. My level is below whatever you set it at. So I'm confused how the IOC setting the level at 10 nanomoles per liter is so dangerous when the vast majority of trans women have their T levels below that. Because the vast majority of trans women are not trans athletes. Athletes need higher testosterone levels than the general public. And higher than be- 10 per, per higher, higher than send five to 10 times the level of the cisgender women? Absolutely. It's actually uh, XX person requires about 10 times the amount to maintain daily health separate of sport. Like we said at the start. Oh, Kirsty, are you saying, Kirsty, are my, my you normal, saying? My normal T level is around 30 nanomoles. My normal, when I was born, pre-transition is 30 nanomoles. Okay. My level, my level now is 0.01 nanomole before I started therapeutic use exemption. My endocrinologist now is desperately trying to get my levels up to around 14 so I can start repairing some of the damage in my body. Got it. Um, so, so Kirsty, yeah. are you telling me that you believe trans athletes should be allowed to have testosterone levels between 10 and 14 nanomoles per liter and compete in the women's category? Is that what you're telling me? Ah, they, they should be, what I'm saying is there should be no blanket frame because- So they, but but they should be potentially- No, 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 they shouldn't be said. And the OIC have, have specifically said that it has damaged the health by having this blanket policy, right? Kristen Morley won the court case in Toronto showing that it does damage. Kristen was granted a therapeutic use exemption, right, to bring her levels, and they only allowed her to bring her levels back up to five, right? When Kristen tried to re-enter sport with the levels of five, her body still broke down. She still get, got complete muscle atrophy. She's still getting osteoporosis, lung disease, about 200 negative complications in her life. And like I said, my endocrinologist now is trying to get my levels up to about 14 just to remotely start repairing some of the damage that I've had sustained over the last seven years. So um, absolutely, Sid, and, but some trans girls, their normal level be pre-transition might have been only five or six nanomoles. We've got some elite male athletes competing in the Olympic Games now where their levels are below the normal female level, three, four, five nanomoles, and they're Olympic champions. 
It's very much because the human body has got around 100 different androgen receptors, 40,000 genes, um, nine different chromosome types, right? And then we've got androgen sensitivity. There's infinite possibilities, Sid. There's no two people the same. And that is what the OIC has come out this week. They've acknowledged this. That, and, and this is what I'm saying. And, and this is why I've been vindicated here. Um, this same the same argument I've been having for 2013 has been called every name under the sun by both sides of the debate saying, what the hell are you talking about, Kirsty? I can guarantee Kirsty's 110% correct in this. I've been vindicated here. And, and moving forward, you'll see. And Kirsty, yes, is applying for a therapeutic use exemption. I'm working with UK anti-doping. I'll hopefully be working with anti-doping authorities all around the world. Um, I'm very pleased that I've got around 50 other trans women all around the world now back on testosterone replacement therapy, non-athlete people, and, and all of them are feeling younger, healthier, and I've probably saved some lives here. You know, Christy, so, you, so, so I love you. This is I why love I love too. talking to you because I, I can fire off these tough questions and you... I love you saying the devil's advocate. That's what no, I'm here for. Absolutely, and it's, you know, it's, 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 I am playing devil's advocate, but I'm also really curious because it, to me, this whole conversation is very difficult. And, uh, and, and I keep going back to conversations I had with Mayanna Bagger over the years, many conversations. I remember asking her, Mayanna, what's the perfect trans athlete policy? And she says, it's impossible. They're, they're just, it is so impossible to have a policy. And, and I hear what you're saying that this, this opens up to multiple policies. But I, I have, I, I want to, you know, part of me throws up my hands and says, uh, if every athlete is, is, is judged by, uh, you know, a, a, a different, level a different measuring stick part of me wonders are are we not just taking the women's sports category and throwing it to the side and saying well whatever whoever can can fit into this category of performance and and the ioc framework talks specifically about ignoring lots of things and just focusing on performance are we taking the women's category, just throwing it away and just saying, we just have a, a secondary category of performance? No, I, I, I believe this is actually going to be better than the last policy because the 2015 policy, right? 12 months was nowhere near enough to mitigate some, some characteristics in, in, in some athletes like me and Hannah Mousy. And there was some trans athletes that, transition whilst competing as elite athletes, right, and then competed very quick after. This here now can address that where that one there couldn't so much. So now the AFL, with, with if Hannah Mouncey come along now to play in 2021, the AFL has already got that data of what the, 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 the benchmarks are for the female competition by doing that study over the last two years. So they know the range like in the AFL, the range 
of um, weights goes from about 48 kilograms to around 100 kilograms. The height goes from around um, four foot 11 to six foot two or so. So, you know, there's a, a gap of over a foot, yeah. you know? So, and, and they want to talk about banning a trans woman because the average difference between men and women's three or four inches when like the gap between the smallest and the, and the shortest woman is in feet, not inches. You know what I mean? And, and there's a, every single physiometric characteristic in the human body, there's a complete overlap between men and women, whether it be testosterone levels, whether it be body mass, bone density, VO2, hemoglobin. So, and all of us fit along, along that spectrum. So the female category is still going to be a protected category and, and, the sports that do their homework and not every sport's going to have to do this homework because like we said, we've got equestrian or we've got um, say for marathon running, they're not going to have to look at so many safety aspects for a marathon running policy, but they're going to have to look at more for rugby union and sports like rugby union, rugby league, AFL, NFL, they can blanket their research together. You know what I mean? Because they're very similar characteristics to perform in the, in those sports. And, and a lot of the sports are similar, you know, just different rules for that sport. So, like, it's a big thing to take in at the moment. Like, it's it's 10, guy, 10 different, you know, sections in the framework. And unless you've probably lived and breathed and, and done this stuff, like, I can't blame anyone for being totally confused right now. Like, they've thrown a lot on the table. And, and, and all sides of the debate are – but, you know, the funny thing is – I'm seeing on the social media that the people that developed the world rugby policy, the people that developed, developed the world rugby policy where they did not a single study on transgender athletes, they did no studies on even transgender people, they didn't even have trans people in the room, right? And these people on social media now are bagging the OIC because the OIC has said individual sports you have to create your policies now. So now we've got Ross Tucker, Emma Hilton, and, yeah. and all these other people saying, how can the, AF, how can the um, OIC, they should have developed the policies, but then they're advocating their policies the best and, and gold standard should move forward. Well, they use cisgender men as proxy for trans girls. That doesn't work yeah. anymore. So moving forward, it's going to be like those old John Police videos. They're going to have videos of that, that trans band group in London showing on a video, teaching people at university, this is how you don't develop policy. This is what they used to do in World Rugby back in 2009. Hi, Kirstie. Here's a, here's a big question. Do you still support the work the Women's Sports Policy Working Group, Martina Navratilova and Nancy Hogshead are doing? Absolutely. Um, because Nancy and, and, and Martina um, and, and the other people on it and, and then the, the trans people on it, what this done has brought us together. And this is probably the only group that's brought the enemy together. And, and we've found that we've got more in common than against. We're all athletes and we're learning together along the way. So, and, and, and what Nancy and that have proposed is not too dissimilar to what the OIC are proposing here. They've, they've always advocated they want the science. They want the research. Now, the OIC is saying we want the science, we want the research. All Ross Tucker and Hilton were saying before this policy was announced, we need the research, we need this, we need that. Now they're saying sports don't need it and, and all this. Like, 
has been a complete turnaround from those people that developed the world rugby policy, very hypocritical of them. So um, it's a lot to take in, Sid. It's a lot to take in and there's going to be a, a, a real teachable moment for us all over the next 12 months. So I want to see more groups like Martina and Nancy's group working with people like me. There should be groups like that in every country. There should be me and Tams and Lewis here working together in Australia and I can learn off Tamsin along the way. Tamsin can, you know, we should be replicating this because that never happened in 2015. It was strange and we we're, were there to educate ourselves on it, you know. So they've got to take us all on this journey together now, see it as women, you know. We all must be educated. We can all develop policy. And, and this policy of the OAC isn't, isn't an absolute, that's how it's going to be. It's a living, working, breathing document. And that's very important if any of the policies develop. It can be tweaked. It can be changed. If we get to 12 months' time, if we get to the Paris and, the, and every, every event's been won by a trans woman, like, I'll be the first to put my hand up and say, we got it wrong, you know? Like, we got it totally wrong here. So I don't think we should be, be stressing. Like, there wasn't an avalanche in 76 when Renee played tennis. Um, there wasn't an avalanche in 2003 for Stockholm. There was no avalanche when the NCAA removed gender reassignment or testosterone limit from the NCAA 11 years ago. We've still not even had a Division One trans woman champion in any sport in 11 years without without T requirement, without surgery, exactly what the OSC are proposing. We have not had one champion at Division One level. So the irrational fears, I guarantee, are not going to happen because trans women don't, don't hold off transitioning just to play sport, right? We, and, and that's not going to happen. That's not reality, Sid. Like, trans women as a community, we'd rather starve ourselves to fit into that dress. And, and studies show that, that as a community that we are not the same as cisgender men. We have got less muscle mass before any of these studies. And um, around 94% of us have got testosterone levels below 2, two nanomoles. So... Yeah, yeah it, it doesn't, it doesn't, um, it doesn't really relate to reality what they've done in the past. Whereas moving forward, it's going to relate to reality of what's actually in the community. So I'm very excited for it, Sid. I'm very excited. I know people are scared. I know people are worried. But I said I go back to those three key moments. This is the fourth key moment we've had: the the tennis in '76, the two OIC policies, and this one here. And I know. We're not going to have women's sport overtaken by trans or intersex people. It's not going to happen. We're, we're about about 0.004% of trans women play sport. So, you know, 0.004% of trans women, out of those, we're going to be lucky to get 0.00% of mm. trans women that are elite athletes. So even if every one of those trans athletes was top-notch, we still be lucky to get a couple qualified for the Olympics here. Oh. Just the numbers aren't even there, you know? Well, I, I, I do know. And, and, and I appreciate you chatting with me and answering some tough questions. And, uh, you know, it's, I, of course, the Paris and the Los Angeles with Summer Olympics are not going to be overrun by trans athletes. Of course, that's not going to happen. So, um, I, I, again, I appreciate your time and, 
Uh, and you're always welcome. I always appreciate the things that you had to share. You've enlightened me and given me insights over the years, and I appreciate your tutelage. And same with you, Sid. Um, I, I've seen you evolve in, in some of your beliefs and, and as your knowledge has grown along the way. And I actually think we had a bit of a blue on mind when we first met quite a few years ago where we was over some of the technicalities of policy and and me and you have both battled on and, and, and over the years come pretty good mates, I'd say, Sid, you know? And, and well, we got, you know what happened, Kirsty? You know what yeah. happened? We just, we just hopped on the phone and we just talked. Yeah. And, and it was how, how just talking, how just talking and yeah. sharing and asking questions uh, opened my mind and got you thinking. And, and I'm all for dialogue and questions. And then you've done this, and I'm a trans athlete. You've spoken to more trans athletes than me as a trans athlete, Sid. Like, I've seen you interview pretty much all the main players here in this. So, and you've spoken to Martina, you've spoken to Nancy, you've spoken to many people. So, like, I always say, and I point to you, you're, you're a world leader in this space, Sid, and I thank you so much because I know you've copped as much hate as what I have as an ally. You know, I've seen you attacked and vilified on that place. So, like, this progress today is, you know, it's been a team effort and, and, and you're part of that team. And I really thank you in return, Sid. You know, it's it's no I in, in the trans team. Well, you know, it, and, and let's end it at this, but I'm a journalist. I just seek the truth. That's it. Whatever the truth is. And you're Nosy Parker. That's what most journalists are. <laughs> I, 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 I come from everything with a perspective, but my ears are always open and my mind is always open to learning more. So I appreciate you educating me. Well, I'm a, I come from an investigative background. I used to run the, the professional standards unit in, in corrective services. So I used to like do the interviews when staff had done misconduct and stuff like that. So when, when I do this, if I'm always about investigating the, you know, so I'd probably make a really good investigative journalist. Yeah, but I love your work, Sid, and really thanks for having me on this. Hey, and um, yeah, it's been brilliant. I hopefully it's it's been different. You've asked me some really challenging stuff, which is great to see. You can follow Kirsty Miller on Twitter at Kirsty Miller Thirty, and I appreciate Kirsty so much. Uh, her just being so open and honest and thoughtful and insightful. I've learned a lot from her, and I know I will continue to. And I hope you'll give her a follow because. You'll learn a lot. She she has you know a, a, a number of messages that she sends. She shares a lot of data, a lot of information, a lot of links. So if you want to learn more about trans athletes, Kirsty shares a lot of information on Twitter. Uh, it's Thanksgiving week here in the United States. I will not be around much over the next week. However, next week I've got a really cool guest, somebody I've wanted to talk to for quite a while going to be joining the podcast and we'll have an interview on Outsports. so excited about that again somebody we've been we've been trying to get for a while and who's just fantastic so i and, and i don't think i'm overselling that i don't think i'm overselling that episode so coming back next week and in the meantime if you're in the united states i hope you have a great holiday and everyone else take care